A lot has changed in the COVID-19 pandemic since the last Epidemiology Counts episode on the topic. We have taken a giant step towards what looked like it could be the end of the pandemic with the arrival of these incredible vaccines that are highly effective against infection and severe disease. But we then took a measure step backwards with the emergence of the Delta variant of the virus, which is much more infectious and spreads quicker and is now the predominant strain in the United States. The Delta variant paired with large portions of the eligible public remaining unvaccinated has led to what is being called the fourth wave of the pandemic. Infections, hospitalizations, and deaths are surging again, primarily in the unvaccinated. However, many vaccinated persons are experiencing breakthrough infections in which the virus breaks through the protection afforded by the vaccine. So is this reason to worry about the effectiveness of the vaccines? Or are breakthrough infections an unfortunate consequence that is expected and can be explained through standard epidemiologic concepts? Today, we're going to talk about breakthrough COVID-19 infections in vaccinated persons, especially in light of the surging Delta variant. We hope to give you an understanding of how common breakthrough infections are and why, as well as some context to interpret the many reports on breakthrough infections and the spread of the Delta variant that are bombarding all of us. There is obviously a lot to be concerned about, but at the same time, the way some of these numbers are reported can be misleading and sound worse than they really are in regard to your risk for getting sick if you are vaccinated. I'm your host, Brian James, Associate Professor at Rush University Medical Center, and this is Epidemiology Counts from the Society for Epidemiologic Research, a podcast that gives you up-to-date information on the state of health research straight from researchers who are deeply involved with this work. Today, I'm joined by a voice you will be familiar with if you have followed this podcast coverage of the COVID-19 pandemic, Justin Lessler, who has actually recently moved from Johns Hopkins to the University of North Carolina. Justin is now a professor of epidemiology at the UNC Gillings School of Global Public Health. Thanks for joining us again, Justin. Thank you for having me. All right. And uh, instead of Justin's usual partner on these COVID podcasts, Michael Mina, who we'd love to have back on another episode soon, assuming this pandemic doesn't just go away. Uh, today, we are joined by another researcher who has a strong focus on health communication through her own podcast, Casual Inference, and on Twitter, where she is followed by many thousands of people. Lucy D'Agostino McGowan is an assistant professor of statistics at Wake Forest University. So we have a North Carolina heavy episode today. Thanks for joining us, Lucy. Thanks for having me. All right, so the reason we thought it'd be nice to have both of you join us today to talk about breakthrough COVID infections is that you both have been doing a great job to contextualize what is happening during this pandemic, especially in this latest stage where there is both good and bad news. You know, the good news is we have a miraculous vaccine available, but unfortunately the rollout of the vaccine is going slower than hoped for. And the bad news is there's the emergence of this new Delta variant, which appears to be much more infectious. So I thought your perspectives would be really useful to help our listeners interpret the actual risk to them and their loved ones and interpret some of the reports that they're hearing in the, uh, the news and the media about this, okay? So let's start with the big question. Is this vaccine effective, okay? So do, do the reports of breakthrough infections indicate that the vaccine is not working? Justin, we'll start with you. So the vaccine works. Uh, it's less effective against the Delta variant than it was against previous variants, but it's still somewhere between 60 and 80% effective mm. against infection. 
Mm -hmm. uh, which is nowhere near as good as it was at first. But if we had a vaccine that good against seasonal flu, you know, we'd be dancing in the streets. So That's it's still so a really fun. good vaccine. Okay. And then what about at preventing severe infections like hospitalizations? So it's at least 90% effective in preventing hospitalizations and uh, even more effective than that in preventing the most severe outcomes, which would be death. Right. So that's why we wanted to start off with that, you know, that important piece of information that just because you're hearing reports that the vaccine is less effective against the Delta variant, keep in mind, it's still much, much better than not being protected at all, being unvaccinated. And it's very protective against severe case um, problems like hospitalizations and deaths. So keep that in mind. We're not just talking about whether a vaccine can prevent infection or spread, but also whether it can prevent you from getting really, really sick. All right. Um, so what about, okay, so Lucy, I'm going to ask you this. How common are these breakthrough infections that we hear about? It's a good question. And it's one that everybody is sort of trying to come up with the answer to. And I think um, the problem that we're facing in trying to quantify how common they are is that there are so many different influencers that are going to kind of change that number. So when we think about how common they are relative to, um, you know, so a breakthrough infection would be somebody who is vaccinated that gets sick and relative to someone who was exposed and unvaccinated, mm -hmm. you know, because of what Justin just said, that, that effectiveness that we're seeing still, it's going to be lower. There are going to be fewer people in the vaccinated uh, exposed group that get sick than in the unvaccinated. But as cases continue to rise, that frequency is going to increase in both of those categories. And so mm -hmm. even if they're kind of increasing, at, you know, in, in, with different quantities, you're going to see more and more breakthroughs kind of as we're going forward. And I think that's something that's important to um, highlight because I, it, just because we're seeing a higher number doesn't mean the vaccines aren't working. It just mm -hmm. means that we're sort of all surrounded by a lot more potential exposure moments than we were even like a month ago. Right. Yeah, and, and just to, to extend on that, you know, you see more breakthrough infections when you have higher vaccination rates. Right. right. Your overall number of infections go down. But if, you know, say 90% of the population is infected, you might have, or sorry, is vaccinated. 90% mm -hmm. of your population is vaccinated. You know, 40 or 50% of the infections you see might be vaccinated people. It's a much, much, much lower probability of being an infection if you're vaccinated, but just so many people are vaccinated that that's who we see in the hospital or who we see at clinics. Right. Yeah. With Justin, oh, sorry, Brian, go ahead. No, you go ahead. Oh, I, I was just gonna say what Justin is highlighting is really important because I keep seeing these news reports that sort of are reporting uh, the way that they're talking about breakthrough infections or breakthrough hospitalizations, uh, the numerator there, so the top number in the fraction yes. is the, the number of breakthroughs or the number of uh, hospitalized people that are vaccinated. And that numerator is kind of like what you were getting at it when we were thinking about the frequency. And, and that is correct, or at least the best estimate that we have at the time. But the denominator, the number on the bottom, mm -hmm. uh, most news reports that I'm seeing are reporting all infections or all hospitalizations as the right. denominator. And so what that actually tells you is that tells you your probability of being vaccinated given you are infected or your probability of being vaccinated given you're in the hospital, which is actually kind of a useless probability. Like I don't, 
once I'm in the hospital, like, I don't really care. You know, I mean, I do care because if I'm vaccinated, hopefully I'm going to have a less severe outcome, but in terms of like that informing your choice, it doesn't really inform any future choice. Whereas what you actually want to look at is your probability of getting infected or your probability of getting hospitalized, given you were vaccinated. Mm -hmm. And so with that, your denominator now is going to be your, like the number, the total number of vaccinated that were exposed. And you'd want to compare that to the total number of unvaccinated that were exposed. And that kind of hopefully highlights why a lot of these news reports that are saying, you know, um, like if we see three quarters of the people infected were vaccinated, it doesn't actually tell you anything about right. how effective the vaccine is. Yes, thank you. And you've done such a good job on your on your Twitter feed explaining this. I mean, everyone check out Lucy's Twitter feed. Um, it really helped explain it to me. Um, and I think this works both ways. I mean, you see reports using this, um, you know, to use the technical term, I think it's the base rate fallacy, right? Is that what it's called? Where you're using the wrong base rate, you're using the wrong denominator. And um, I think it's worked in both directions, right? I mean, I, you see the you see uh, the administration, you know, the White House saying, oh, well, 99% of all infections are in people who are unvaccinated. So that's the percent. And that's good. But as more and more people get vaccinated, just be prepared, everyone. That number, that proportion is going to go down. It's going to be less and less of a percentage of the people who are sick that are vac- that are unvaccinated because there's just going to be more and more people that are vaccinated, you know, Um so you have to keep that in mind. And then uh, going back to what you were saying about the 75%, you know, there was this recent um, outbreak at Cape Cod during July 4th, where it scared a lot of people because CDC put out this report that said 75% of the infections were in vaccinated people. And that's because almost everyone there was vaccinated, right? And they were crowding into these, you know, bars. I think from what I understand, people weren't really masking. Um and, you know, so like, of course, a lot of the infections are going to be in vaccinated people because that's where most of the people were vaccinated. That being said, the number, this is Lucy's point, the number of infections that we saw, I think it was like three or 400 infections could have been in the thousands if all those people weren't in, you know, vaccinated. And then on top of that, I think only four of those people went to the hospital. Okay. So it could have been hundreds, if not thousands of people that were hospital, and maybe not thousands, but hundreds of people that were hospitalized if none of those people were vaccinated. So you just have to keep in mind what the denominator is when you see a lot of these reports. So I think yeah. that's a really good point. And also, I, I think, you know, something you said there, I think is an important thing to, uh, think about, and that is, you know, the people, you said the people probably weren't masking. Right. And I think, you know, sometimes we use this like Swiss cheese metaphor <laughs> for the prevention of infection, right? Like, you know, vaccination gets rid of some, you know, some of the infections, but masking gets rid of other parts of the infections and, mm-hmm. you know, not going to large crowded events gets rid of other parts of the infection. Right. And so, right. you know, why risk of infection, yeah. your risk of infection yeah. or, or the numbers of infections out okay. there, like at a population mm-hmm. level too, right? Mm-hmm. Or your risk, but think mm-hmm. about your risk, right? So, if I, when, when we say that vaccine is say 80% effective at preventing infection, we're saying that if I behaved exactly the same before and after vaccination, mm-hmm. my, uh, and the epidemic situation was exactly the same right. before and after vaccination, you know, my probability of getting infected would be about 20% of what it would be before. I'd have right. about a one in five chance. But if I, stop doing all the things that I was doing to protect myself before I was vaccinated. I stopped wearing my mask. I stopped 
you know, avoiding large gatherings and particularly of unvaccinated people. You know, I, you know, I stop uh, just, you know, being, you know, keeping six feet away from people. If I, if mm -hmm. I stop doing all those things, right. I lose all those protections I had before. So the, the benefit I'm getting from that vaccination is less compared mm -hmm. to, you know, my previous unvaccinated behavior. So right. it's not a substitute for doing other things. Right. You know, if you want to get the full impact of that vaccination, you should you you should do some other sensible measures. That's not to say you can't loosen up a bit because you're vaccinated, right? And and <laughs> and once cases start going down, we should be able to go back to normal. But mm -hmm. it's not you shouldn't believe that there's no benefit to doing these other things just because I got my vaccine. Right. Yeah, and I, I think that I love the Swiss cheese analogy. And I think that like for, you know, probably the thickest piece of Swiss cheese or the one with the fewest holes at this moment is going to be that vaccination. Like that is mm -hmm. the, that's like the best way to kind of build a protection. But then, you know, as cases increase, basically, if you think of, I was trying to make this explanation and it started to get kind of gross, but if you think if you're trying to like pour something through Swiss cheese, right? Like you, <laughs> and it's going to like leak through the, these holes. Mm -hmm. Yes. That vaccination, um, you know, is going to be a very thick piece of cheese. And that's maybe the best one you can, you can get if you're only going to have one piece of cheese. Right. But if you're pouring like 10 gallons of liquid on top of, of Swiss cheese, like you're going to have to put some other layers in there, you know? Yeah. So and kind of to draw that analogy back, if the case rate, if, if cases locally in your community, which pretty much everywhere right now, we're seeing really high caseloads. Mm -hmm. If that is really, really high, that's like pouring a ton of whatever it is on this Swiss cheese, right. that vaccine, it, it's, you know, while it's the thickest piece you could have, you, mm -hmm. you're going to need a couple other layers. And I know, yeah. you know, most of us are starting to introduce more of those layers of precaution to try to get, you know, back to a little bit of normalcy. Right. Yeah. And it, you know, it's, it's, it's very frustrating and I understand the frustration. It can seem to people that, um, you know, the CDC, the government or public health officials are kind of going back on what they were saying before. Um, you know, they were, Hey, you were saying we can loosen up and we can get rid of masks and we can go to bars, you know, but now you're saying we got to do it. You must not know what you're talking about. Um, and I think it's important to explain that the context has changed quite a bit. I mean, the Delta variant has changed all of our decision-making because like your, your analogy is a good one. I mean, the Delta variant is like turning on the spigot to opening the spigot, right? Because it's just pouring you know, that, that virus into the community at a much faster rate than previous variants were. And um, that's why, so it's not necessarily that, that anyone's um, was wrong before. It was just that the context has changed. And now you as a vaccinated person are not completely 95%, you know, whatever the number is, uh, protected from getting an infection now, given the current context. Yeah, and, and I think it's also, you know, the, the Delta variant sort of hit us at a bad time, right? Yeah. It, it, it's more infectious. The vaccine works a bit less to it. And I think mm -hmm. it hit us just as everyone was loosening up, you know, back right. in, uh, you know, back in the end of June, you know, I think we were looking at uh, rates of infection, you know, getting close to dropping down, the, dropping below the one in 100,000 level, mm -hmm. which I, I, you know, case rates, which, which for me is, is a rate where I, I'm starting to feel like, okay, I can go back to almost 
you know, mm-hmm. at all, mm-hmm. uh, as a vaccinated person at least. Right. And right. then, you know, that all hit at once and it's ramped up infections. And now, you know, we're seeing uh, in many states rates of infection over 50 per 100,000. You know, yeah. and uh, you know, a lot of states, most states aren't quite there yet, but they're they're heading that way. So that's a lot more cases out there, and right. we need to readjust our um, you know our behavior to that new epidemic situation because right. there's many many times more people out there that you could meet who could be infectious. That's right. Than there were at the beginning of July. Exactly. The other thing too, that I think, you know, I hear a lot kind of what you're saying, Brian, about people feel like it's not fair because they got vaccinated and Mm -hmm. they're having to do all this extra for the sake of the quote unquote unvaccinated. And I just Mm -hmm. think it's somewhat important to also remember that the unvaccinated is a heterogeneous group. Like Mm -hmm. my children, I have two children that are two and under, you know, and they don't have a choice whether they can be vaccinated. And so like, I think that there's this um, this idea that we're having to do something on behalf of people who maybe aren't doing some aren't aren't pulling their weight. Aren't pulling their um, weight, yeah. And and it's not actually the reality of the situation. I mean, mm-hmm. certainly there are people who could be getting vaccinated that are choosing not to, but there mm-hmm. are also a lot of people that we want to protect who um, right. don't have that choice. Yeah, yeah, and, and I'd like to just emphasize too. It's like there, there are still access issues, right? Mm-hmm. Like there's a lot of vaccine out there, but you know it's not always in convenient locations. Uh, it's not always being offered at times for people who are not able to remove their, you know, like leave their jobs. And you know there, there was a good article in the New York Times that sort of broke down the numbers, and showed that you know yeah, there's a significant people portion of people out there who are unvaccinated, who are opposed to it, or you know, hesitant for, you know, um, political or like other reasons. Misinformation reasons, yeah. But there's also a significant proportion of the unvaccinated out there who it's actually an access problem. Yes. You know, we haven't made it easy enough for them to get vaccinated. Right. And we, that's a really important point. Um, all of these points are very important that there's an access issue still. There's immunocompromised people out there. Um, then there's kids. So we're, we're going to table the kids because I really want to, all, th- all three of us have young children that can't get this vaccine. I actually have two kids in the NICU. Um, you know, it's really freaky thinking about once they come home, I'm taking them into this world where this virus is rampant, you know? Um, so, you know, I, I, I hear a lot of people saying I'm vaccinated, you know, screw everyone else. Like, why do I have to change my behavior for those people? Uh, well, you know, think of the kids, as they say, if that, if that, you know, and think about immunocompromised people, think about people who can't get vaccinated. Um, so you're doing it for them, but you're also doing it just to, you have to think of this from a public health perspective. Okay. It's not just about your individual risk, right? It's about doing things that we can, that we can prevent, so we can prevent the overall spread. Okay. Because it's still going to suck for you, even as a vaccinated person, if this pandemic keeps surging for months and months, years and years. Okay. That is just going to be a sucky thing to deal with. And as we're talking about today, there are these breakthrough infections. So you are not invulnerable just because you're vaccinated. You have lowered your risk quite significantly, but as Justin and Lucy have said, um, doing these other precautionary methods will lower your risk even further. Okay. So 
really good points, but we'll get to kids in a second. I wanted to talk about the Delta variant. I, I have a lot of people ask me questions I don't have the answer to about, um, let's, let me, let me give you this question. So how likely is it that a, a vaccinated person is going to spread the, the Delta variant to another vaccinated person? I think this is like, you know, we, we keep talking about going out as a vaccinated person into the world and running into people that are unvaccinated and they're infected and you get sick. And that sure, I'm sure that happens. But what if we're being safe and we're like, I'm only going to let vaccinated people into my home. A lot of people are still freaked out. Like, what's the chance that I could get infected by another vaccinated person? Do we so, know? so this is where we get into this whole like conditional versus unconditional stuff, right? Yeah. <laughs> Excuse me. So if that vaccinated person, that vaccinated person is much less likely to be infected, mm -hmm. right? So they're much less likely to bring the virus into your home. Mm -hmm. And, but if they are infected and have a viral, you know, load, like similar to an uninfected person, mm -hmm. or sorry, unvaccinated person, unvaccinated. which often happens, they're just as likely to infect you as if, they um as if they were unvaccinated right, right. It, it's it's you know so it's sort of this conditional thing right mm -hmm. if they if they're less likely to be infected but if they're infected and infectious they're not that much less, less likely to infect you and you're less likely to get infected because you're vaccinated but once they're infectious it doesn't matter you know the fact that they're vaccinated doesn't really matter that much mm -hmm. so um you know, so you can have these events. This, this actually happened to a friend of mine. He wrote about mm -hmm. it in the Baltimore Sun, mm -hmm. where, you know, you have a dinner party mm -hmm. with all vaccinated people. Right. And I think there were 14 vaccinated people at this dinner party. Yeah, so there was an infectious person and well over half the, I think, 11 of the, you know, uh, vaccinated people ended up testing positive. Oh, not that mm -hmm. many of them got sick. Mm -hmm. um, but that is, you know, like that, that's something to keep in mind. It, but the fact is, is that if the person's vaccinated, they're far less likely to be infectious and, right. and get infected and you're mm -hmm. far less likely to get, inf get infected. So right. it's much, much less, but yeah. it's not. Um, it's not zero. It's not zero. Right. And because this Delta, I think the reason this Delta variant is so infectious is because it replicates really quickly. Is that right? Like once it gets into your, your body, it just yeah, replicates it and you like, shed faster. Yeah, it looks like it's mostly driven by uh, yeah faster faster it's, viral. It dynamics. just takes like off. It just takes off right, a lot quicker, right, and right. you know your immune system, even if you're vaccinated, needs time to like right. ramp up and take the virus down. Right. And uh, so, that so more more transmissibility and right. more breakthroughs. Right. So if you happen to have a dinner party with all vaccinated people at the moment that you are shedding this virus at tremendous amounts, you may, you may infect everyone. Yeah. Um, but yeah, as Justin's saying, it's all about, I mean, it's hard to explain this to people, but it's all about probability, right? Your probability yeah. of that happening, if you're all vaccinated is not zero, but it's a lot lower than if you were all unvaccinated. Yeah. Right? I think, of, I think sometimes too, you can think of it as, as sort of like, uh, time use right like mm -hmm. uh sort of probability right like you know if if i'm if i'm shedding a ton of virus mm -hmm. right and i'm at home watching netflix <laughs> who cares not gonna infect anybody i'm shedding a ton of virus and i happen to be at that dinner party yeah 
I can infect a lot of people. Yeah. Now, maybe that window where I'm shedding a lot of virus or the chances that window even existing mm -hmm. is, is less if I'm vaccinated, but it's still there. Yeah. And, you know, it could still be when I'm out doing something. So yeah. that's, you know, that's something to keep in mind. Do we know if that time window is shorter if you're vaccinated or are we just guessing? Uh, it looks like it's maybe shorter, It look, but it looks like the people who are infectious, like mm -hmm. once you're, you're much less likely to get to that threshold when you're infectious if you're vaccinated. Uh -huh. Yeah. It's not clear. There, there's some contradictory evidence, and, gotcha. and, but you know, it's not as clear that once you get to that threshold that you're, you're going to, uh, it's going to be that much shorter. I see. You know, we, we do most of our infection really early in our infectious period already, uh -huh. right? Like about right. half of the infections occur before you even get show symptoms. Right. What the data shows, right? So, so frustrating. <laughs> yeah, so frustrating. So so it's like that window is, is that window where you're doing most of your action and, and infection is pretty short already. What about ACE? Um, oh, go ahead. You know, but but what I'd say is that right, like you're much, much less likely to get there if you're vaccinated. Right. Oh, oh, but also what I want to say is like you gotta remember, like, we're still learning about Delta. That's right. Right. Uh, yeah. You know, Delta is a new beast. It's more mm -hmm. complicated. It's not like, you know, it's not like we are back, you know, at the beginning of the, the pandemic where like we could understand exactly, you know, which virus was responsible for everything because there's only one and stuff. So, so it, yeah. and, you know, we have approved vaccines, like we can't do trials against like just against Delta or something like that. <laughs> right. Right. That's right. So, point. so, yeah. you know, it's a learning process. So, so, you, so when you hear me say, say like, we're not sure it's because yeah. it's, it's so new. Hard. It takes it's time hard. to do these studies. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I want to say just because I know that usually Justin is uh, is partnered with Michael as his as his co. I want to in the to channel Michael a little bit, but you know it can sound a little bit hopeless when you hear about some you know a group of vaccinated people all get together and then half of them are a, a large number get get sick and sort of it feels frustrating. But we have a lot of tools now, even more so than we did kind of the first time we were going through this. We you know rapid tests are widely available. I think yep. that like yep. there are other things you can do to even if everyone around you is vaccinated to make sure that you're even putting in more reinforcements or more layers of those Swiss cheese. So if you're about to go to an event with, you know, 30 vaccinated people, if everybody takes a quick rapid test and test, test negative, then like you can feel a little more assured that nobody's going to be infectious. And I think that that, you know, rapid tests now you can get them for about 10 bucks a test. At, uh, 10 bucks. Know. 30 yeah. bucks at my Walgreens. I have to go to, you have to tell me where you're getting yours. Yeah, <laughs> yeah 30 I, bucks I, for two. So about 15 bucks. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think most of them, I don't know, at least when I, where we are, they're most of them are on sale for $20. For on you. sale. Amazing. Yes. So, <laughs> Demand uh, so low, you know, during this pandemic. And well, also I will say that, so in addition, so $10 is, you know, it's more than I wish it was, but it's right. less than it has been traditionally. Also oh, yeah. Most CVS and Walgreens will do a rapid test for free now, which you can yep. get in about an hour. So, mm -hmm. so anyways, there are, there are other options that mm -hmm. you can do if you want to get together with your vaccinated friends and you're worried about being one of these strange cases, you know? Yes. Yes. Yeah. This Very is good exactly point. what we've been doing in my family for yeah. <clears throat> risk management, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. I'm living sort of adjacent to my, my older mother now who, um, you know, who is vaccinated, but is still in, you know, old enough to be in the really high risk groups. And, and you know, so, so these are the type of extra precautions we're taking. 
Exactly. Yeah. And I, I shout out to Michael Mina, who I'm sure would say they still should be a lot cheaper than that. And it's ridiculous that they're not like a dollar each. Right. Um, but anyways, uh, I agree that, that we use these in our family a lot all the time. I mean, had our mother-in-law visiting and she started coughing or sneezing and we gave her test and turned out she just had allergies. So it gives you peace of mind. Right. Um, so, you know, like you just said, this is a rapidly evolving situation. We're still learning about the Delta variant, but I'm just going to ask you some questions about it. And you can tell me if we know these answers or not, just because I have so many people asking them that, I, uh, you know, going to throw them out there and see what we know. Do we know if asymptomatic spread is, you know, that was a big talk early in the pandemic about how many people just have no idea they have it and they're going out spreading it. Is asymptomatic spread something that happens a lot in vaccinated persons or, or do we have no idea? I, I think from the data I've looked at, it's similar. And I think we need to, so. the, part of the big debate around asymptomatic spread was mm -hmm. about asymptomatic Versus mildly symptomatic yeah. versus pre-symptomatic. Mm -hmm, so, mm -hmm. so truly asymptomatic people who mm -hmm. never develop symptoms, they probably spread some, but usually yeah. they have quite low viral loads and, right. and they're not big spreaders. But people who do develop symptoms, eventually they have a big peak in their viral load, like mm -hmm. right around the time, like right before they develop symptoms. Right. And, and they can do a lot of their spread in that period because they're not changing their behavior yet because they're right. feeling sick. Right. right. And likewise, people who have more mild symptoms maybe don't have quite as high of, you know, viral loads as, as the people with more severe symptoms. But it's much easier to say if I just have the sniffles or a headache or cough, like to say, oh, it's just allergies or, or right. something like that. And yeah go about your daily life. And mm -hmm. those people may never register as like symptomatic surveillance, but they have symptoms and they spread the virus. Yeah, that's a good I, point. Go ahead. Lisa. I'm sorry, Brian. No, no, go for it. Oh, I was just going to say that I, I think that another piece of this is sort of like what is relevant to the individual versus what is relevant on a public health level. Yeah. So mm -hmm. like when I, I felt like throughout this whole pandemic, the, the, um, relevance of like asymptomatic spread, how, how prevalent that is, that's very relevant on a public health level, because if we think that X percent of people are asymptomatic, that gives us some information on, you know, the reduction in potential spread that we would see over a population. But mm -hmm. for an individual, it actually is not super relevant for exactly the reason that Justin was saying that at any given moment, all I know is I don't have symptoms. I don't know if I'm going to develop them tomorrow or if mm -hmm. I'm going to continue to be asymptomatic. And so it's not, it, it doesn't end up actually helping us to, to kind of on an individual level, think about these asymptomatic versus pre-symptomatic spread, because right. all I know is that I don't have symptoms. All you know is what you're, yeah, the moment, in the moment right. and how you behave. Right. Yeah, yeah. But, but I, I do want to emphasize though, that that, you know, that public health part, right? Like yeah. for instance, we, we did a study of schools symptom screening was one of the best ways to, you know, lower the chance of the risk of having a, from having a kid in school. So, so like, it matters at the public health level, even mm -hmm. if there is this individual question that we don't know if I'm going to develop symptoms tomorrow. Right. That's a good point. Yeah. I mean, I think this whole individual, what's best for me as an individual versus what's best for us as a society question is really uh, at the forefront um, well, with this whole pandemic and with vaccinations and with masking while you're vaccinated. Um, 
you know, I, I don't know if you all wanted to speak to that, you know, that whole dichotomy, although I want to say that, well, I want to hear what you have to say about it. And then I'll tell you something I've, I've picked up from reading people like Ed Young and how they, um, how they put it, but go ahead. Yeah, I, I'd like to hear what you have to say. And what Lisa has to say. I, I like think about it a little bit like um, the, the rules around lines, for instance, mm -hmm. you know, if, uh, if one person cuts in line, it sort of benefits them. Mm -hmm. And you know, is bad for everyone else, but like that, you know, they, and that person got a personal benefit, you know, and maybe didn't have have risk. But if everybody starts ignoring the line and cutting in the line, it's bad for everybody, including worse for that person who would have cut in line, you know, mm -hmm. initially. And I, I always think of vaccination kind of, and and all these public health measures the same way. Mm -hmm. You know, if I'm uh, if only one or two people, you know, if I personally, everybody else is doing the, what, you know, being careful, getting vaccinated mm -hmm. and stuff. And I personally, you know, don't do those things, you know, uh, then like, it's not, it's, it's not that big a deal for me maybe. And, you know, I don't have to deal with the hassle or the potential vaccine side effects or whatever. Uh, but if everybody, doesn't do those things. If everybody starts ignoring the public health guidance, mm -hmm. it's worse for everyone, including me. I'm in worse shape. You know, I'm in worse shape when I don't do it. So, so you know, we we benefit personally by having sort of we do have a personal benefit from that public health benefit. You know, you mm -hmm. do have the personal benefit from yes. having, and we do it all the time. Right. In other spheres, and <laughs> I think I we should do it here. Yeah, I, I wanted to make a point that, that someone who's vaccinated might might listen to your analogy and say, but I'm not cutting any line, you know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not doing anything to 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 make anyone else's risk any higher. So it's not fair to me. You know, I'm vaccinated. Why do I, you know? But I, I think right, the but, point but, that when I was, right, but that's my point is is that that right, okay. I'm they're like, I'm not cutting any line, I'm vaccinated. Yeah. I'm, I'm wearing my mask, yeah. right? But to say, okay, because that other person didn't, you know, just like you, to say, things start falling apart when I say, oh, because that other person cut yeah. in line, I'm the go cut in line too. Right, right. Start saying, because that other person's not one taking precautions, I'm the stop taking precautions yes, too. Yes, of That's course. That's when things fall, fall apart. Yeah. Well, well, the point I was, well, I want, well, I'll let Lucy give her take on, on the individual versus public health, and then I'll give you my take. <laughs> Well, I mean, I think I, I think Justin's already sort of stated basically what I would say, but that, you know, from an individual perspective, I mean, when you think about vaccines, they're highly, highly helpful for on an individual level because we know mm -hmm. that it's going to reduce your risk of severe illness, for example. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, but on a population level, kind of exactly as Justin is saying, and you, you have to think about kind of other mitigation things you have to do in addition when especially when we know that you potentially could transmit I mean that's I, so I guess that's a little bit different from precisely mm -hmm. what he's saying but that you know those those layers of Swiss cheese they're yeah. helpful for both you and the people around you yeah right? yeah all good points uh, the point I was going to make though is that it's a little counterintuitive we like to think like uh, you know me versus them and it's like you know I can do everything uh to protect myself and why should I care about all these unvaccinated who are out there spreading it amongst themselves. And I, I think the point that a lot of experts that I've been reading ha have made to me is that getting the unvaccinated 
vaccinated at a higher rate will actually benefit me as a vaccinated person. Okay. So it's not just, so it, there actually is individual benefits, not just population level benefit. Um, because as Justin has said, you're lowering that background risk, right? You know, it's not just about, you're not, as we said, you're not completely protected if you're vaccinated. So if you're less likely to run into people who are infected themselves, it behooves you, it's good for you. So we should care about the vaccination rate in the unvaccinated and not just about our own personal selves or whether we should get a booster, et cetera. We should care about vaccination rates in other countries, for God's sake. We shouldn't just care about it in America. You know, other countries are at one to 2%. Guess what? You're not going to be able to travel internationally like normal ever, you know, until that's taken care of. So aside from just the moral reasons to care about other people, there are individual benefit reasons to worry about getting vaccination up. Yeah. Right? And maybe a better, better metaphor than cutting in line would have been uh, driving on the right side of the road. There you go. <laughs> right. Like if one. I, if I drive on the right side of the road, you know, yeah, yeah, it benefits my safety, but what really benefits my safety is everyone. Everyone. The right the there you go. Yeah, good one. Cool. All right. So one last question about Delta variant, because I, I think it's a good one, um, and maybe we don't know the answer, but is it as likely to be... So, no, let me change it. Before the Delta variant came along, I think that a lot of us got the message that outdoor gatherings were pretty safe, right? And And instead of going insane uh, and just being completely isolated and secluded from other people, we took some, some respite and being able to have social interactions outdoors. But is there any evidence that the Delta variant is more likely to spread in, through outdoor contact than the previous variants? Um, th so this is where we get into this idea of like relative versus absolute risk, right? Mm -hmm. Like outdoors is still protect protective against you, protective, you know, and, and it's still less probability of getting transmitted there than indoors, than indoors. Yes, yeah. but we've, we've seen several clusters and I think we're seeing more clusters of outdoor transmission with the Delta variant than we oh, saw wow. previous variants, mm -hmm. simply because it's more transmissible, mm -hmm. you know, like the, the most transmissible respiratory virus, you know, virus transmitted by the respiratory route mm -hmm. that we know about is, is measles. Right. And you always see these outdoor clusters with measles. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that that's anything special about the measles virus being, you know, right. good outdoors. Yeah. It's that it's so transmissible that, that the protection from a respiratory sort of airborne respiratory type virus mm -hmm. that you'd see outdoors is overwhelmed by the infectiousness of measles. Right, right. And I think it's likewise with the Delta variant, right? Like mm -hmm. the, um, you know, the, just because it's more transmissible, that it can overwhelm that benefit of you being uh, outdoors. Mm -hmm. um, and if you're like standing within three feet of someone and having a long conversation, even yeah. though you're outdoors, you still may be spreading yeah. it back and forth. Yeah, I yeah. think all the benefits it can overwhelm, but yeah, that's the other thing is it matters what you're doing outdoors, yes, right? Like, exactly. you know, if, if I'm standing four feet away, you know, on a windy day, like, yeah, you know, probably like, okay, probably okay. But if, if we're sitting next to each other, like say at a, you know, having a picnic, sharing, food. having a picnic or like at a little table at a like, you know, reception or something, and we're unmasked right in each other's face, mm -hmm. you know, less, a lot less benefit. Yeah. Uh, also, you know, just 
just as a pet peeve of mine is sort of outside of your question. I see a lot of like restaurants that are like, it's outdoors, but they put up on so <laughs> But you're many, in a globe. You're yeah, in a globe right? with tighter They're, space with 10 other strangers. Yeah. 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 They, they, they put up so many <laughs> barriers that like, it's not really outdoors. We've made outdoor indoor. Issue. We've made <laughs> yeah. outdoors indoors to make it even less safe. Like basically just like not climate controlled. <laughs> it's like. Right. Right. It's right. Like, just cold. Yeah. Yes. I. Yeah. I think that this maps kind of very much to what we were talking about at the beginning about vaccine effectiveness too, where it's like, you know, so yes, <laughs> relatively, it is always going to be a better choice to get vaccinated versus to not get vaccinated. That doesn't mean that you might not get sick when you're vaccinated. And similarly, it's always going to be a better choice if you're choosing between indoor or outdoor. Outdoor is always mm -hmm. going to be the better choice, but that doesn't mm -hmm. mean that you're a hundred percent protected outdoors. It just means right. that kind of, and, and so I think that like, when we're thinking about any kind of pandemic response or personally what you're going to be doing to think about what the like counterfactual is. So like, are you, is your other decision choice, is your choice to either get together outdoors or not get together at all? Or is your choice to either get together indoors or outdoors? And I right. think that that kind of reframes your, how you might think about it. That's yeah. a really good point. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it's all about risk management. How yes. important is this thing I'm doing to me? Mm -hmm. Is it something that it's no big deal for me to put off for a bit? Or is it, you know, something that I, you know, really need to do now? And mm -hmm. if I have to do it, you know, how can I manage the risk? Uh, so, you know, I, I've gotten a lot of calls from, you know, people about visiting families, but a lot, particularly before this current surge really got going. Mm -hmm. And, you know, like a lot of them, hadn't seen their family for like over a year yeah. and you know and so the risk that they're willing to take to see their family is going you know I've been close enough to most of my family fortunately to like drive and see them so that so you know and, and see them in safe play you know in safer things so while I might not I'm well, personally I might not be able to, willing to take the risk of a long airplane ride mm -hmm. you know because to do something you know it's my, what I'm doing it for is, is different. So I, I think yeah. we all, I think if, I think the attitude shouldn't be how do I eliminate, you know, all the risk and how do I, you know, or I just, what activities do I have to absolutely give up? It, it needs to be like, these are the activities that are important to me. These right. are how important they're, you know, that I want to prioritize. And, um, this is, you know, what I can do to mitigate the risk that yeah. I'm to do. That's a and, really. And we do this all the time. Right? <laughs> that's right. That's right. Yeah, that's a really good point. It's all about risk benefit ratio. I mean, I, perfect example. As I said, we got our our twins were born, you know, recently, and they're in the NICU, and we have a five year old daughter, and we we don't have family around here, and we needed someone to watch her. Ironically, because her school was closed because some uh, teacher had a breakthrough infection. So, like, you know, the whole pandemic life cycle right here in one week. And so we needed someone. And so uh, thank God our family was able to come and, you know, one person at a time and stay with us, watch our daughter, everyone, you know, all the adults are vaccinated and, you know, you're taking a little bit of a risk doing that. You know, they had to fly here, but given the alternative, I mean, I, what would we have done, you know, not be able to see our children in the NICU. It doesn't make sense. So you have to kind of 
make these decisions based on your personal context and your what's going on in your life. If it's something, if you like, just really want to go to a bar, it's not to me, <laughs> you know, really worth that. But then again, some people haven't gone to a bar in a year and a half, like, you know, maybe take a flyer on it if you're vaccinated and you're going with vaccinated friends. I don't know. Um, maybe that's important enough to you, you know? It's, uh, so th that's what I think we, we, that's how we need to think about this. But before we wrap things up, I think we need to spend some time, as I said, um, talking about kids, okay? Because I know this is, for me personally, what I get the most questions about. It's just, uh, you know, when you're a parent and you know that other adults have the option to get vaccinated, but your children don't, um, it can just be such a harrowing decision-making process, especially with school starting, you know? And we're all, we're, we're finally, you know, as opposed to last year where everything was virtual, we're, we're sending kids back to school in person. And a lot of them are unprotected other than wearing masks and whatever social distancing your school may provide. So where are we at with that? I mean, how, I don't know. I don't, <laughs> I'm going to ask this question, but I don't want you to freak people out. But like, for those of us who have school age kids going to school, um, you know, how concerned should we be with school starting? For the kids or for our communities? That's a good, good question. Let's do both. How about start with the kids and then go with the communities? So, I mean, kids are still, even with Delta, you know, which, which it has lowered the ages of infection a little bit, they're mm -hmm. still at very, very low risk of severe outcomes. Mm -hmm. It's a bit higher with Delta than it was, but it's still extremely low risk. So, mm -hmm. You know, I, I, you know, we all want to shield our children from any possible risk, but we, mm -hmm. you know, we put them on buses, we drive them in cars, you know, we right. do things to improve their lives that put them at some risk. Mm -hmm. And I think it's important to remember that the kids are, you know, particularly the youngest kids, like under 10, mm -hmm. seem to be at very low risk of anything really bad happening. It does mm -hmm. happen. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to lie, right? It does right. happen. And again, it's but happening it's, more frequently because there's more and more people yeah. being exposed. That doesn't mean your particular right. child is at very high risk of it. Right. So, yeah. so yes. they're at low risk if infected. But, mm -hmm. you know, schools are excellent places to, you know, enable viral spread around the community. Um, and, you know, bring that virus home to grandparents, bring that mm -hmm. virus home, you know, to other people, at, you know, vulnerable people, people at risk. And, you know, so schools will, you know, inevitably facilitate community transmission. Mm. Do they have all sorts of other benefits that make it worth <laughs> keeping them open? Absolutely. Absolutely. But, yes. but I, I think we need to be, be clear about what we're, you know, what the reality is of doing that. Right. That's a really good point. So you're, you know, if you're worried about your kids going to school, maybe that, worry might be a little bit overblown, although, you know, being protective of your kids is a completely natural instinct we all have. So I'm not trying to make any parent think that their worries are overblown, but your child is probably not at super high risk of getting really sick. Okay. But as Justin's saying, we do have to worry about the surge that may come from schools opening up and how it will probably almost definitely lead to higher case rates around the community as we just have more and more people kids are people interacting with each other you know and coming back home so it is a reality that we have to 
face. Oh, you're muted, Lucy. That, sorry. Yeah. I think um, another piece too is that like the schools, you know, it doesn't have to be just this like open or shut kind of idea. I, I think that there are a lot of barriers you can put in place in your mm -hmm. schools to make that risk to the to the the students themselves and also to the wider community lower. So mm -hmm. like not all schools right now, you know, it's maybe depending on where people are coming from might seem crazy, but there are schools that are not masking at the very yeah. moment. I mean, yeah. mm -hmm. a lot, locally, our schools are masking, but there are some that are not. So like, that's a, one way to, to reduce kind of how much that's going to impact those students mm -hmm. and the community. Then there's also other things like, um, I know in Boston, I just saw, I, I'm channeling Michael again, but I just saw that they're implementing the, like a test and stay program. So they're okay. using rapid tests mm -hmm. for students that are exposed. I think they're having them take them for five days or something like that every day to come into school. Um, <laughs> and, and so things like that, there are tools available to us that will be able to- Ventilation, ventil ventilation better ventilation. Yeah. I think that there are, there are tools that can be utilized if we're going to prioritize um, educating our right. our children, which I think is a good thing to prioritize. Absolutely. It, it doesn't mean that we have to then like just give up and say that these communities right. are going to get ravaged with mm -hmm. cases. Like you can you can do both. You know, you can educate our children and also do it in a way where I mean, the other one I think that we would all agree on is sort of building a wall of vaccinated people around these children. So yeah. if all of the teachers and all of the parents and all of the older siblings mm -hmm. are vaccinated, then it's going to really dramatically reduce the potential to spread in that setting. Really good points. And, yeah. and eliminate the people who are at risk. At risk from them bringing anything back. Yeah, exactly. Great point. So do we know where we're at with vaccinations for kids between five and 12? Is this something that's likely to be approved soon? Um, the trials are happening now. The trials are starting now, and and they'll and they'll likely be quick because they're not. They they are going to be immunogenicity and safety most likely. I, mm -hmm. I, there may be some infection event ones, but I, my understanding is that that's how the, how like new group trials are usually working. Mm -hmm. And uh, so you know, I wouldn't expect it. You know, before the you know, school school year is already starting, so certainly mm -hmm. not before the school year. Yeah. Um, but, but during the school year, I think by by um you know by the Christmas break, oh, okay. I think we'll have a good sense about whether or not it'll be approved for those those age groups. Right, because we don't. I mean, there's no indication so far that that they're having bad reactions to the vaccine. But again, the trials are still starting. Can't say that for certain. Right. But, and, um, and, you know, the recommendations might be a little different because mm -hmm. once again, the the risk benefit discussion is harder. Yeah. Yes, um, absolutely. When, because kids- Because they don't get that like sick. Kids, yeah. kids yeah. don't get that sick. Right, right. right. And, and so, um, but, you know, I think the, you know, all indications are this is a, you know, been a very safe vaccine um, for the most part. Uh, other vulnerable populations, you know, have we've, you know, when we've looked, we've decided to improve, we approve it. We've decided that the benefits outweigh the risks. So mm -hmm. my guess is that's the way we're going, but let's see what the science says. Got it. Okay. All right. Anything else to say about kids or have we covered it? I mean, I know that's just such a cause for anxiety for so many people. Um, I think I'm going to ask you about one or two more things before we wrap up, maybe just one. Um, 
another thing we get a lot of questions about, and I know there's <laughs> well, it's in the news a lot, um, boosters. You know, again, if you had the mRNA shot, got two doses of it, you know, should you be thinking about getting that third one? I just saw today that that the Biden administration is talking about, you know, saying we need boosters, you know, uh, for everyone. So for, you know, it just approved, we just approved it for people who had, uh, who are immunocompromised, but there, it may be coming soon approval for everyone. Um, and of course, all right. And then we have the questions of if you got Johnson and Johnson, should you be getting an MRNA booster on top of that? So those two questions, um, what do you all think about that? And then before you answer, I know that there's going to be a whole individual versus public health de decision making about boosters as well. So we can talk about that, too. But all right. So first question, do we think boosters are necessary and do we think they're going to be approved soon? Um. So I'll I'll, um, I'll dodge that question. <laughs> I, I think I think the You'll the punch. evidence on um, you know the evidence and boosters for for just waning I think mm -hmm. is um, I honestly I think I think it's it's too early to to say okay. I think I think it's a bit cloudy. But what I will say is that the virus is going to evolve. Mm -hmm. We're seeing it evolve, and mm -hmm. eventually. I'm relelatively confident that eventually we will need re reformulations. Uh-huh. So not the exact them. same booster, but right, something yeah. that's formulated to deal yeah. with the evolution. That's a good point. So, so I think all of us, whether it's because of immune waning, the need to chase the virus mm -hmm. as it evolves, or both, mm -hmm. like I think all of us will eventually probably need another shot. But at this but, moment. Yeah, I, evidence I is still know. the jury's still out for the right jury's now. still out, and most of us have been vaccinated pretty recently. You know, yeah. we haven't even hit that eight months. Like the vast majority of you, I've hit the eight months. Not, I'm getting freaked out. I've not out. hit the eight months. <laughs> yeah. Well, you, um, yeah, you, yeah, yeah. But you know, <laughs> most people who are vaccinated got them vaccinated like in March or later. So, exactly. So it's still, exactly. still a while before they hit that. So, right. Um. Yeah. That. That's. That's my view. Gotcha. I think too, this is like, I, I've seen some like mathematical derivations of whether or not boosters are more, like if that's a, a bigger benefit uh, like populate on the population level than just getting mm -hmm. unvaccinated people vaccinated. And I think right. this is a hard, it's a hard discussion because I think that, um, you know, this is, it's very similar to the discussion we were having mm -hmm. early on when, when the question was, oh, do we you know, vaccinating like a young person in the U.S. versus an uh, elderly person elsewhere in the world, kind of what mm -hmm. are the trade-offs there in terms of like the amount of cumulative death that we could avoid. Mm -hmm. And the problem is that um, like mathematically, a lot of these things make a lot of sense, but policy-wise, like those vaccines that we, we have here, if an unvaccinated person is choosing not to get vaccinated, at this moment, a, a you know, immunocompromised person getting a third booster is not preventing that unvaccinated person from getting that vaccine. So there's mm -hmm. this kind of, I do think it's it's difficult to sort of parse out what's mathematically true if we had a perfect universe and could like force everybody right. to get vaccinated versus yeah. what's true based on the reality of like boots on the ground. We have these vaccines available and whether or not we should just be using them kind of right. efficiently as we can right now. Um, so exactly. That's kind of my take on it is that, you know, you are, I mean, I think getting a third booster would probably 
increase your your protection a little bit say I, i'm just throwing numbers out i don't know five ten percent you know but that vaccine going into an unvaccinated person is going to be a lot more effective long term right the problem is it's a lot easier to control one versus the other right it's a lot right. easier for me to go and get a third booster if i believe in vaccines and you know uh, than it is for me to convince a, someone who maybe doesn't want to get a vaccine or doesn't have access to it to, to get that vaccine, not convinced, but help them get it. Right. So again, there's that individual versus public health thing going on. Um, and then, then when you open it up to vaccines in our country versus vaccines in the rest of the world and whether they're available and there's all sorts of obstacles to, to making these kinds of decisions. So, um, but yeah, yeah, I mean, but, but I'd say one thing remains true. The, the more immunity we can get out there in the population, the better. Right. And, you know, and, and yes. so the more, you know, whether it's people boosting their immunity, which, you know, will have some effect for sure, mm -hmm. you know, and or others like, you know, like I'd like to see the vaccine used, I think is what it comes down to. Okay. So what about people who got the Johnson and Johnson vaccine? Like, would we recommend that people get an mRNA? I guess, I don't know, would you call it a booster? <laughs> it's a different vaccine, but getting an mRNA dose on top of their Johnson & Johnson? I, I think the recommendations are forthcoming on that. Okay, so we'll have to find out. All right, well, I think we may have covered most of the questions that I wanted to ask you, but I, I, will, I will end with a very big picture question, okay? Hopefully it doesn't take us on too much of a ride here. We can wrap this up in a couple minutes. But I know that some experts are saying at this point with the Delta variant raging that we're at a point where you're either. So, you know, in the beginning of the pandemic, we were talking about lockdown measures, all these things we can do to actually like tamp out the spread of this virus to the point where we can make it go away. I think a lot of experts are like, at this point, it ain't going away and it's going to become endemic, right? So do you, do you agree with the comment that some experts are saying that at this point, you're either going to get an infection or you're going to get vaccinated? It's one of the two. Or for the unlucky few, you're going to have both. You're going to get vaccinated and then still get an infection. But do you think it's, it's true that, at, that all of us will at some point come in contact with this virus and either be protected from it by our vaccine or our natural immunity, if we already had it, or um, get infected? Well, I think the first piece is, I've seen that floating around too, and I think one point is the time scale that you're talking about that's mm -hmm. important to sort of highlight, because I think, you know, if, you're, if your time scale is infinity, so from now until the end of the universe, like, <laughs> is that your time scale, or is your time scale over the next month, or is your time scale over the next year, you know, that mm -hmm. matters in that question, because I think that when thinking about you know, putting in protective measures so that that doesn't happen in the short term while we're still trying to get people who don't have an opportunity to get vaccinated, like children vaccinated or whatever it might be, but that that is an important factor. So I think that's mm -hmm. one piece. And the other piece that I think is important that like sort of there was conversation about early on that I haven't seen as much is sort of thinking about the difference between um, being exposed to the virus. So being mm -hmm. and actually getting the getting infected. Oh, the disease. Yeah. Yes. Mm -hmm. and, and those are sixth. two different things. And I think that, you know, um, that's a even, good point. Uh, yeah. And so I think that it, Justin, you should weigh on in on this too, because you're more boots on the ground in terms of the like epidemiology, but from my limited perspective, it does look like kind of over, you know, a long period of time, I think it is likely that, um, a lot of people or maybe everybody is going to be exposed to this virus, right? Like, I think that that is 
probably true, but whether or not they actually contract the disease, I, I don't think that that is something that's inevitable at this moment. Right. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I mean, so I'm, I'm on the record saying this would be endemic as far back as last April. I had a Washington Post article on it. Yep, yep. Uh, way I remember. Uh, Freaked everyone out, but now you can say, told you. But I mean, the point <laughs> is, is that, you know, an endemic virus is going to look a lot different than mm-hmm. a, uh, you know, than an epidemic virus, right? And oh, a naive population like it was at the beginning, you're saying. Right, yeah. Right. Or even mm-hmm. now, right? It's we're still now. an epidemic. Yeah. Like, yeah. There's still a significant proportion of the population who, who has not seen this virus or doesn't have any immunity to this virus through mm-hmm. vaccine or natural infection, mm-hmm. and that and that that those people are going to get eaten up and get immune because they they're vaccinated or infected mm-hmm. eventually. You know, mm-hmm. like you know, not all of them. It won't be 100, percent but it can be very very high. But what's going to happen? What happens with the endemic viruses like this? Is that the um, is that the first time you see the virus gets younger and younger and younger? Like most huh. coronaviruses, the average age at which you see an endemic coronavirus the first mm-hmm. time is like around two years old huh. when you're very young. Those people don't get sick. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know when we're talking a decade from now, like there's every chance that this will look much more like a, a like typical childhood infection. Mm-hmm. And we won't see severe disease because by the time you're, you know, in your 20s or 30s, even you've seen the virus either naturally or you've seen the antigens through vaccination or both, mm-hmm. and you're protected. You know, right. I often wonder, you know, and I'm not the only person who, who who's asked this question. Like the four coronaviruses that were endemic in the human population when this virus arose. Mm-hmm. What did, would they have looked like when they were new? Right. Like, do we know that they wouldn't have looked very much the Just same? Just like, yeah, yeah. Because there were people, you know, because there were older people who were susceptible and they would have been raging epidemic. Mm-hmm. You know, now you just do not see an 80 year old person who has never, has no pre-existing coronavirus immunity. Right. Right. Virus will also change, but yeah. you know, so I, you know, I, not a hundred percent sure we're getting there. You know, viruses can, you know, surprise us. Mm-hmm. You know, and and they almost inevitably do. But I think over the long term, even if the virus is with us, it's not going to always be a giant public health problem. Right. With spiking and, hospitalizations and things like that. It'll, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So what the conversation is, is not, will this, we ever get over this? It's, you know, what is the journey from here to there? Right. And the right. things we do like vaccinate, mask and stuff like that, they're all about making the journey from here to there easier. Yeah. And keeping our healthcare systems, you know, safe and the like. Awesome. Okay. Well, I think that's probably a really good place to end this conversation. Um, So thank you so much, Justin and Lucy, for joining us. Um, And before we go, if you're an epidemiologist, I strongly recommend you consider becoming a member of SCR, the Society for Epidemiologic Research. Membership gets you a discounted fee for the annual meeting. um, 
and uh, assuming that <laughs> things go in the right direction with this pandemic, it will hopefully be held in person here in Chicago in June 2022. Membership also gets you access to the SER library, which has some great learning materials, seminars, and activities. And you can find out more at epiresearch.org. We really appreciate you listening, and we'll be back with another episode soon.